Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Notice we said before, it's only a good fight if you win. We're not interested in living life, fighting the fight of faith like we're seven under a basketball team, that we only care about the snacks after the game. We care about victory. We care about winning. Because on the other side of our victory is somebody knowing Jesus. So fight the good fight of faith. Go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We'll look at verse 3. And Jesus said, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. And he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Thank God we have ears to hear today. Amen. Look at verse 13. And he said unto them, know you not this parable? How then we know all parables. This parable is so key to understanding the other parables. The sower soweth the word. And these are they that were by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and take away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which were sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So one of the things we said before, there are three sowers you find in Scripture. There's God, there's Satan, and there's you. We looked at the different types of soil, different things that represent the heart in this parable. The first one was wayside hearts. What is a wayside soil? How many of you know you're not going to plant a farm on the side of 285? That that is not good soil to plant in. It is not cultivated for you to grow anything. In the same way, Jesus is comparing people's hearts like the side of the highway. It was hard. The word wasn't able to get in. And so the word was sown in these wayside people. One, they didn't want the word. So when it came, they didn't understand it. They said, I don't even want to understand it. And what happened is Satan came and took the word from them. The next set of ground is stony ground. Now, number one, remember wayside heart is not a tactic of the enemy. It's self-inflicted problem. Number two, stony ground is a second self-inflicted problem. These are people who hear the word and they receive it with a shout. That's what it says in the Greek. They receive it with gladness. They're happy about the word, but when they leave church, they do nothing about it. They're happy about the word. They get some production because they praise God when they received it. But affliction and persecution comes in and scorches it away because they had no depth. Why do they have any depth? When they left this place, they did not do the word. They didn't read the word. They didn't say the word. They didn't meditate on the word. And they didn't let the word dig down deep and remove from their heart what needed to be removed. So the first two issues, wayside heart and stony ground, are self-inflicted problems. But the next five things are the tactics of the enemy. Affliction, persecution, 
cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. As we studied it out, we said affliction is pressure brought by circumstances. Persecution is pressure brought by people. And we says when affliction and persecution arose, that immediately they were offended. That word offended here means trapped, stumbled, or enticed to sin. It says what the production they had was scorched or withered away. So affliction and persecution was stirred up by Satan to come at your life to make sure you have no production of the words. When people see your life, it's like you never received that word in the first place. Next, cares of this world. How do we define that last week? We say cares of this world, deceitfulness, and riches, lust of other things. These are thorny reeds that grow up from the heart. So these are internal issues or matters of the heart. Affliction and persecution comes from the outside, but cares of this world, deceitfulness, and riches, lust of other things comes from the inside. The only way it can get on the inside is because the seed was sown and you received it. And you did nothing with it. You just let it sow. We talked about how things can be sown into you. We said your soul is the gateway to your spirit. Your soul is your mind, your will, the very seed of your emotions. That's why Proverbs told us to guard our heart. Because from our heart flows the issues or the forces of life. So if you don't guard your heart, the cares of this world, deceitfulness, the riches, the lust of other things can be sown in. And we said last week that if you do have those things in your heart, you have to obey what Jeremiah 4.4 says to break up the fallow ground and sow not among thorns. We have the personal responsibility to make sure our heart is in good condition to receive the word of God. So we said the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, they grow up and they choke the word. That word means they crowd it out or they completely strangle it. It completely kills and removes production and fruitfulness. We define care as last week as anxiety, worry, and distractions. It's that which draws you in a different direction and causes an anxious care. It is that which draws you in a different direction and causes an anxious care. We looked at many different examples last week, but sometimes we come so full of care or careful, so full of worry, so full of anxiety, we stop doing what God's called us to do and we look the other direction and we don't do what God's called us to do and that chokes the word from our life. Then we looked at deceitfulness of riches. What is deceitfulness of riches? It simply means you are deceived by money. If you are deceived, it means you believe a lie. Believing lies about money will choke and crowd out the production of the word in your life. Here's some lies about money we talked about last week. If you do whatever you have to get it, you are deceived by it. Why? Because if you do whatever you have to do to get it, you will violate the law of love. You won't love your neighbor as you love yourself if you're doing whatever it takes to get it. We said another lie was if you think money will solve all your problems, you are deceived by it. Because you can be sick and dying, but have a million dollars in the bank, you're just a poor man with a million dollars in the bank. Or you can be healthy and have a million dollars in the bank, but your family is a mess and nobody wants to be around you, you have no friends. You're just a poor man who has a healthy body and a million dollars in the bank. Then we said, if you think money is evil, you are deceived by it. Because the Bible says the love of money, or we said for that Greek word, that one phrase is avarice or extreme greed is the root of all evil. So you can be on either extreme. You can love money and do whatever it takes to get it, or you can be deceived by money and think, nope, no money at all, and you're still deceived by it. And it will still choke out the production of the word in your life. So we began to talk about it last week, but we're going to cover more today. What is the lust of other things? Lust of other things. Lust is defined as an excessively strong desire, especially for what is forbidden. Lust is defined as an excessively strong desire, especially for what is forbidden. Now notice, lust is not limited to forbidden sexual desire. It is an excessively strong desire for anything, especially for what is forbidden. Notice it's the lust of other things, not just the lust for sex. We have a habit in our culture when someone says lust, we automatically think sex, but that's not what the Bible is talking about. Romans 7, 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. 
The word covet means to set your heart upon, to long for, rightfully or otherwise, or to desire. This word is translated desire in other places, and you can covet or set your heart upon and long for, for good things. The Lord said through Paul that we should covet or long for, for the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. We see from the scriptures in Matthew 13, we should covet and long for revelation of the word. In Luke 22, we see that Jesus longed to have the last supper with his disciples. So we should have a desire to fellowship with one another. We should have a desire to fellowship with one another. Now I just come into church, whoop, I got the word, and bounce. We should spend time with each other. We should pray for one another. We should serve one another. Amen? We have to make sure that the consumerism culture of America is not invaded in the church. That we're just coming to church to see what I can get and then leave. What if we came with the mentality, who can I bless? Who can I help out? Like you have today, you have over 100 people who came today with that mentality, I'm coming to bless somebody. They're called Team Faith. They serve every week, week in and week out. And there's some of you, you have time available, you can serve, go ahead and join that team. Be a blessing to others. 1 Timothy 3 shows we should long to do good and greater works. But as we know, there is a wrong longing, wrong longing or coveting in a negative sense. See, if you covet what your neighbor has, you have violated the law of love. You do not love them if you covet and long for what they have. The social commands of the Ten Commandments of thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not lie, and etc. are summed up as loving your neighbor as loving yourself. If you covet what your neighbor has, you don't want them to have it. So you have judged them unworthy of the blessing or the good thing in their life, and you have judged yourself as better than them and more worthy. That is evil, and that is pride. That is why lust leads to destruction, because pride goes before a fall. Now, you can desire something like they have. You can rejoice with them as they receive their good things and believe God at the same time that God will give you something like what they have. James 4 also teaches us if you allow lust to operate in your heart, it will generate strife and keep you from receiving from God. So go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Pick up with verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. And it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The word enticed means deluded or entrapped. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. That word conceived means seized, arrested, and captured. So lust will delude it will entrap, and as it brings forth, it will seize, it will arrest you, it will capture you. Then it says, it will bring forth sin. That word bring forth is different than the other one. It means to generate or to breed. So after you're arrested and captured by lust, it will generate sin in your life. And then when it's done, it generates death. Now the thing is, when we think of death, our mind automatically goes to physical death. But there's many forms of death you find in the scripture. You can have death operate in your body and still be alive, called sickness and disease. You can have death operate in your mind and be depressed. You can have death operate in your relationships and in your marriage. You can have death operate in your finances. The wages of sin is death. But a lot of people think, well, just because I haven't dropped dead, I guess nothing's coming to me. No, God's mercy holds you receiving everything you deserve. That's why you can look in the world and there are people who say, you say, well, they are professional sinners. Why haven't they burst into flame yet? The mercy of God. The same reason you didn't burst into flames before you found Jesus. The mercy of God. 
But as it says in the Old Testament, your sin will find you out. Sin will produce death in one way or another. Then James goes on and says, do not err, my beloved brethren. The word err means to wander off. Don't let lust lead you off the path God has you on. Why? Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You don't need to lust if God will give you the desires of your heart. Why are you lusting for things when God said, I'll provide everything you need and give you the desires of your heart? Trust God. Not everything else. Your faith and your trust must be in God. Now, one thing I want you to notice from verse 14 and 15 of James chapter 1. This is a process that's not something that just happens in a few minutes. It's a process of time. Lust was sown into the heart. Lust was allowed to grow unchecked. Lust was cultivated. It grew enough to seize the thought patterns or the mentality of the person. Then it affected the actions of the persons, leading them to sin, to err, to wander, and to miss the mark. This person stayed in sin, brought by lust for a while, and it produced death. This is a very dangerous thing. Psalm 81, 9 through 12 says, this is speaking of God talking to Israel. There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shall thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels, or they walked in the hardness of their own heart and imagination. Lust unchecked will lead you to having a reprobate mind, and that is a very dangerous thing. Go to Romans chapter 1. Lust unchecked will lead you to having a reprobate mind. A mind void of judgment. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. As you turn there, I'm going to read verse 29 to 32 from the HCSB. And it says, these people, they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. All that, although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Now, how did this group of people get to this place? Go to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So what happened? Number one, it says they knew God, which means at one point in their life they heard the word, but they rejected it with their wayside hearts. Then it goes on, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So number two, they refused to give God glory, but lifted themselves up because they wanted to do things their own way. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So this uncleanness came from the lust that was already in their hearts. 
The lust of their hearts, it was sown in, but now it had grown to produce uncleanness, and the uncleanness became their lifestyle. And it goes on to describe that lifestyle. The process keeps going. It says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever? Amen. So they become even more deceived. And the next, when you look at verse 29, they now have a reprobate mind, a mind void of trust, judgment, which is God saying at this point, fine, you can have it your way. I won't bother you anymore. You can get to a point in this life where your heart is so hard. Well, God has warned you several different times. Well, God will say, fine, you can have it your way. I won't bother you anymore. That is dangerous. And lust produces that. Lust unchecked will lead you to that path. Because it goes on to say, as we saw already, they become full of all wickedness, sin, and evil because they rejected the word and let lust grow in their heart. So this judgment of a reprobate mind falls on them. This is the same judgment that fell on Pharaoh in Egypt and will fall on the followers of the Antichrist during the tribulation. The hearts are hard. They have reprobate minds. So as Thessalonians says, they're sent a great delusion and they believe it. That is their judgment. We didn't get to that point. It's not that you can't turn back. You don't want to turn back, so you never will. And that's a dangerous place to be. Now, you may be caught up in sin today, but thank God Romans chapter 2, 4 tells us the goodness of God leads people to repentance. You feel that stirring in your heart today, that's how you know you're not too far gone. Just don't leave this place without making a decision for Jesus. Don't play Russian roulette with eternity. Don't go, I have another day. Tomorrow is not promised to you. Don't put off to tomorrow concerning eternity what you should do today. You must make a decision for Jesus today. You must make a stand for Jesus today. You may not have seen the full manifestation of death that sin and lust produce. It's because the mercy and the goodness of God have been holding it back, giving you time to repent. Now, on the other hand, Romans 2, 1 through 3, instructs us not to judge people. I said instructs us not to judge people. We know from Scripture we can judge actions. But what we have to do is show them the goodness and the love of God. And as the opportunity arises and we're led by God's spirit, we speak the truth in love. Your judgment won't save anybody. You telling people how bad they are won't save anybody. But as God leads you and you tell them in love how good Jesus is and how they don't have to pay for their sins. Because the only thing that sends people to hell is rejecting Jesus. If you never make a decision for him, that's the same as rejecting him. That's the only thing that sends people to hell. Why? Because Jesus came as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Not just the sin of church people. He picked up every sin on his back when he was crucified and he took it to hell. So the only thing that sends people to hell is rejecting Jesus. So we need to stop telling people, you got to clean yourself up, then come to God. No, if they could have cleaned themselves up, they would have done it a long time ago by themselves. They need Jesus to clean them up. Only the blood of Jesus applied can wash away every sin. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we tell people, come as you are. But the thing about God, he loves you too much to leave you that way. He leaves you too much to leave you in your sin, to leave you in that lifestyle. The love of God is strong enough. The blood is enough to take you from sin and walk in holiness. Because as soon as you are born again, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is your standing that will never change even if you mess up again. But holiness should be our conduct once we're born again. Holiness has not changed just because it's 2016 and laws have been passed. Holiness is still doing what God has said. And the thing is, you don't do it because of your own natural ability, your own willpower. You tap into the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you call the fruit of the Spirit, and you can live right in this time no matter what. We are called to live for God in these times. We are called to be the light. We are called to be the salt. But if the light doesn't shine, how can people see if the salt has lost its flavor because it's been like the world too much, how can we preserve the world from destruction? 
We have to be who we're called to be. It's time out for trying to be so close to the world because we're trying to fit in. Because we don't want people to talk about us. We have to live right no matter what they say. No matter what the politicians say, no matter what entertainment says, no matter what song comes on the radio talking about you, you have to make a decision. I stand for Jesus no matter what you say. Because the thing is, the persecution they may bring to us in this nation is nothing like what the apostles faced. So how can we back up going, well, someone may talk about me when they try to kill most of the apostles. How dare we? Delude the word of God to say, well, it's just our Sunday experience. It should be our lifestyle. We got to live this thing. It's time out for the world knowing the church for its church splits and its reality TV show craziness. We must walk in love. We must walk in the truth. We must be full of the Spirit's power and show the world another way. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So now we've defined and identified what is the lust of other things. But how do we stop this strategy? How do we defeat this wile of the enemy? Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 16. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So what does it mean to walk? I was looking up this word, and I like how Rick Renner defined it. He said, it means to habitually walk around in one general vicinity, Thus, this word was often translated as the word live. This means that instead of being translated walk in the spirit, this phrase could be translated live in the spirit. This is a good rendering of the word, for it indeed suggests a person who has walked in one region for so long that has now become his environment, his place of daily activity, the spirit that encircles his existence. One expositor notes that this word could be best explained by thinking of a person who's walked one path so much that he would be able to walk that path blindfolded because it is his path, his spear, the place where he has habitually lived and functioned. In secular literature of New Testament times, this word often meant to stroll. In fact, many Greek scholars suggest that the best way to translate it is to stroll in the spirit. To stroll is to leisurely walk. A person who strolls is not anxious. It's not a frustrated person who's fighting to do something or get somewhere. Rather, he is restful, relaxed, unhurried, peaceful, and calm. So if you are walking in the Spirit, you won't carry the cares, the distractions, and the worries of this world. What we learn from verse 17 of this chapter is what the Holy Spirit desires is not what your flesh desires and vice versa. If you follow the leadings and the desires of the Spirit, you will not fall to the strategy and the wile of the lust of other things. So how do we walk in the spirit? Is it something, something deep and spooky and mysterious? No, it's really simple. We stay sensitive to God's voice. And when he tells us to do something, we obey immediately. We are quick to hear and obey the written word of God. We don't go, well, I'll think about that later. Well, I don't feel like doing that today. No, you're quick to obey what the word of God says. You're quick to hear it and quick to do it. And number three, you grow in your relationship with him by fellowshipping with him, by spending time with him every single day. You practice his presence. You don't just spend time in prayer at the beginning of the day. You check in with him every single part of the day. You're going through the day. You have a moment. Father, I just thank you for being with me. I thank you. I can hear your voice and the voice of a stranger I will not follow. Thank you for leading and guiding me. Thank you for everything you've done for me. You do that throughout the day. You're training yourself to be more conscious of spiritual things than natural things. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Looking at verse 20 again. 
Now we know how to defeat every strategy of the enemy. We know how to defeat every tactic. We know how to take down every wile. And so if you do that, you get verse 20. And these which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. One thing about this word fruit, as you look at the rest of the parable, it's not just fruit, but it's fruit that remains. These are people who receive the word and produce what the word says, and it's not just something here for a season. These are lasting fruit that lasts throughout your life and even into eternity. Because you have to understand there's rewards in eternity. It's not just going to heaven, oop, I made it in. Well, that's good. But bring somebody with you. At least have a plus one with you. But then also we'll talk about in our next series, there's five different crowns a believer could receive. There's different robes and attire people will wear. Even how much you shine in heaven is dependent on things God's called you to do. So it's not just getting in and go, whoop, I'm in heaven for the rest of eternity. We actually have job descriptions once we get there. We're not just living for this life. There is another life to come that's forever. This life is only a drop in a bucket to eternity. So if we produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold, fruit that remains, we are overcomers. We're those who have conquered. We're the ones who are victorious. So go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. So we said Satan only has five tactics. And when you look at chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, it describes seven different physical churches that existed during Paul and John's time. They were all founded by Paul, but after Paul went home to be with the Lord after he was martyred at the end of his life, John took over the leadership of those churches. It's in modern-day Turkey, what the book of Acts is called Asia Minor. So we're going to look at these seven literal churches that existed, but one of the things is as you read about these seven literal churches, you'll see they still exist. Every church today is one of those churches or a mixture of those churches. And because Satan has no new tricks, he tried those same five strategies on these churches. So let's see how they turned down and what strategy was used and what did Jesus say. So Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. There was a church started in a huge revival. Amazing things happened. The entire city was moved because it went on. But notice what Jesus said to them in chapter 2 verse 4. This is probably a good 40 years more after the church was started. He talks about all the good things they have done and what they're doing. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thou first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except you repent. Now, the candlestick represents the moving of the Spirit. God's sanction on a church. Because, you know, there's a lot of churches that can exist without their candlestick. Just because you're a church doesn't mean God started it. Just because God started it didn't mean that you stuck on his path and he's still, you're still doing what he called you to do. Now, you could be saying, well, people are getting saved. Lives are being changed. Yes, the word always works. The word always works. The word is anointed. You can actually have someone who is a hot mess in, by, and but stand in the pulpit and people's lives be transformed because the word is anointed and God loves people. And the reason it hasn't caught up with that person yet is because God is merciful to them too and has given them space to repent. They can even flow in the gifts of the Spirit, walk in the power of God. That is the goodness of God saying, I'm giving you time to repent. So what happened to the church of Ephesus? What happened to them? The cares or the distractions of this world came in. They had a good social gospel, but they lost their first love, Jesus. And when they lost their first love, they stopped evangelizing and going to tell others about Jesus. They became distracted and began to do other things, and Jesus called them on the carpet. Because I need you to return to what I called you to do. Look at the next church, verse 9, the church of Smyrna. He talks about the things that they're doing. He says, I know your works and your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. 
I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. So notice what Satan is trying on this church. Affliction and persecution. The persecution is so severe, it brought the affliction of poverty. It's pressured by circumstance and pressured by people. But notice what Jesus tells them. He says, these things are going to happen. You will go through this pressure. But here's how long I expect you to be faithful. Your entire life. Don't be faithful just until you get tired. He said, be faithful until you die. We can't be weak Christians. We can just follow the Bible when it suits us. We can't just use it for a get-out-of-jail-free card. Oop, I'm in trouble. Let me go to the Word. Let me get, get back on faith. No, this is a lifestyle. We live by faith. If Jesus tears, we die by faith. We stick with him every single day. Go to verse 14. So he's talking to another church, the church of Pergamos. And he says, I have a few things against you because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So has thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Ooh. Jesus, the son of love, hates something. We'll talk about what it is in a second. Verse 17, he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saying, he that received. Now the thing is, Pergamos compromised because of the lust of other things, which was found in the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. It was a doctrine of compromise. Nicholas, you find him back in the book of Acts. He was a convert to Christianity after he had been a convert to Judaism. So one of the things he began to teach eventually that it's okay to do all the things the world is doing. And he began to teach like Balaam who taught. Remember, Balaam was the one who tried to curse Israel. But he ended up saying, you can't curse who God's blessed. So he backed off. But later, they were still trying to pay him they said, what can we do to defeat them? What can we do to get the blessing off of them? So he taught the enemy, send out prostitutes to make them sleep with the men of Israel. Have them get into the lust of other things. Enter into fornication. The blessing will lift and you can get them. So you have this man in the church teaching it's okay to sleep around. It's okay. God understands he knows what time it is. We're in the Roman Empire. It's not like it was back in the day of Moses. It's okay. You can sleep with him. You can sleep with her. You can sleep with both. That's what they were teaching. There's nothing new under the sun. See, if you're living in sexual immorality, you will choke the production of the word in your life and short-circuit the power of God from operating in your life. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you have no power. And so when life happens, you're trying to go and figure out what am I supposed to do, but there's no power there because you've been living a compromised lifestyle. And whatever you compromise to keep, you will eventually lose. Whatever you compromise on the way up the mountain will rule you when you get to the top. The church of Thyatira, verse 20. So notice, remember, Jesus said he hates the doctrine of the the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What is that? The doctrine of compromise. Jesus despises compromise. Either live for me or don't. Well, I thought Jesus loved, he is. But he's drawing the line very clear. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because you suffer that woman, Jezebel. We know how Jesus feels about her. He called her Jezebel. One of the most wicked women in the Old Testament. Now, sure, that could have been her actual name, and Jesus called her out by name. 
for all history, remember. But more than likely, it was a description of her character. Jezebel in the Old Testament was manipulative. Ahab was bad, but Jezebel was worse. Jezebel will stir up Ahab to do more bad things and more evil things. So you have that woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess. Obviously, she's not because she says she calls herself one. Just, you know, you can call yourself a lot of things. I mean, you are one. People call, you know, it's popular to call yourself this or that. But if Jesus don't call you that, and that's not what God called you to, don't call yourself that. And you may be something, but it doesn't mean you have to go tell everybody this. Let what's on your life speak for you. We're called to follow Jesus, not gather up titles. It's another message, though. What is Jezebel doing, this fake prophetess? To teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. That's what fornication is. And to eat things sacrificed to idols. So she's teaching compromise. So I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Why do you give her space? That's the mercy of God. That's the goodness of God. So I gave her time to turn. She's not turning. Judgment's coming because I'm not going to let her keep messing with my people. Look at verse 25. For that which you have already hold, that which you have already hold fast till I come. So what you have, hold on to it. And he that overcometh and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. We'll talk about what that means in the next series. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I receive them, my father, and I'll give him the morning star. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Now, next is the church of Sardis. So we know Thyatira gave in to the lust of other things. But also, they gave in to the deceitfulness of riches. Because some commentaries and historians says the reason they let Jezebel in the pulpit was because she was a big giver. She had a lot of money. And so they wanted the church to have money, so they let her come up and say what she wanted to say. So they were deceived by riches and entered into the lust of other things, and it choked out the production of the word. Sardis. Unto the angel in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you live, and are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore you shall not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Notice what happened to this church. They're still in existence he said, everybody thinks you are this lively church, but Jesus said, you are spiritually dead. What happened? All five tactics of the enemy have an operation. They removed all production of the word. They have wayside hearts. They have stony ground hearts, but they still come to church. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're living right. Let me help some people who are dating. Just because they're in church does not mean they're a viable candidate to date. Well, they lift their hands and. Well, they said they're spiritual. Demons are spirits too. Get more clarity. That's why dating takes time. That's go, oh, they look good. And you get distracted and you forget about the Bible. Someone compared to the church like a hospital. People are on all different levels. But there's also in most hospitals a mental wing. And craziness can hide in a few seasons. You need to see people in every season of life. How are you when you're angry? How do you act? What is your relationship with your mother? Ladies, you need to know how he treats his mother. You need to know how he treats his sister. Because you're going to be in that mix. You need to know if his family's crazy. <laughs> Fellas, you need to know if her family's crazy. Because once you say, I do, you are part of that family. You need to know what is their relationship to money? How much debt you got? Because once you get married, that's your debt too. Not his debt, her debt, no. Y'all's debt. <laughs> what is your credit score? Are you actually single? 
Are you really a man? Is that a recent development? Are you really a woman? Is that a recent development? You got to ask some questions. That takes time. You can't get all caught up in your emotions and in your feelings and think, well, I've been waiting on Jesus for a long time now. They came to the altar. It's my time. No, let them grow up first. Don't just marry a spiritual baby. Stop praying on them just because they came to the altar. Ooh, they're in the church now. Give them some time to grow up. Stop being so thirsty. Stop drinking some lemonade. Get the water of the word, not that lemonade. <laughs> Put some respect on yourself and wait a little while. Look at verse 15. <laughs> Verse 15. But notice what happened with the church of Sardis. They became so spiritually dead, verse 3 says they won't even know the season when Jesus comes back. And we looked at what happens last week. It says Jesus is only coming for those who are looking for him to come. So Sardis would not be looking for him. So unless they repented and got their focus right, they would miss it. There be those Christians, you know, they're going to be Christians who don't go on the rapture. Church is going to be packed that next Sunday. Actually, probably the next day, people go, ooh, it's true. They'll be, the doors won't be even open, but they find out how to open them. And there'll be some people left behind and say, well, here's what's happened. Here's what the Bible's going to say next. Well, how do you know that? Well, I was in church last Sunday. Well, why did you do what he said? You see what had happened was. So don't be the church of Sardis. Don't lose the production of the word and get distracted and become spiritually dead. Keep your focus on Jesus. Walk with him. Verse 15. The church of Laodicea says, I know your works, that you neither are cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spill you out of my mouth. I will vomit you up, it says. Why? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. What happened? They had done the word, prosperity came, but then they stopped having things, and things began to have them. They began to be deceived by riches. And they thought, well, because I got all this stuff, I'm doing good. And Jesus says, no, you're not. And he called, told them what to do. We look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come unto him and will sup with him and he with me. Notice a lot of times preachers use that as an altar call scripture. That's great, but he's talking to saved people. He's talking to the church. Hey, will you let me back in church? Will you let me back in your life? Will you have a relationship with me again, or are you going to keep your relationship with stuff? Has the stuff become your God? You're deceived by riches, you're doing whatever it takes to get it, and you forgot about Jesus who blessed you in the first place. It's like people who started out with God and they had nothing. They began to prosper, and they forgot about Jesus. They used to come to church every Sunday. Now, well, it rained. Can't come to church today. Oh, it's sunny outside. I'm going out on my boat. I'll come to church one day. Yeah, next Easter. That sounds good. Hmm? Don't let what God gives you take the place of God in your life. Hallelujah. Verse 21. To him that overcometh would I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now go back to verse 7. 
So we know Laodicea fell to the deceitfulness of riches. Let's look at the last church, the church at Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith, he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that, has, he that opens that no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door and no man can shut it. I've given you this great opportunity. Nobody can block it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word. Come on, they're getting production of the word. And has not denied my name. You stood under pressure no matter what they did. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. I'm going to give you victories. I'm going to bring enemies to the table. Remember, he anoints your head with oil in the presence of your enemies. He said, I'm going to give you victory in the presence of the enemies. They're going to fall at your feet and they're going to know that I love you. This is unstoppable victory. This is the victorious church. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation. What are you talking about? The tribulation. This is the church that doesn't go into the tribulation. This is the church that gets raptured. Which shall come upon all the world and to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast to which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out and will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I'll write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Satan had tried all five tactics, but he couldn't stop the church of Philadelphia. He couldn't stop the victorious church. They held on to the word. They did the word. They stood under pressure. They did not let the enemy take them down or knock them back. And Jesus says, you're getting this reward, you're getting this reward. Hold fast to what you have because when you get to heaven, you're going to get a crown. See, the thing is, I'm going to get to the next series, you want to have a crown in heaven. Why? So you can sport it on the streets and go, no, no, no. You have a physical offering that you can go up before the throne of God and place it at his feet. You can join the 24 elders who bow down and cast their crowns at the feet of God. It's an act of worship. Living in such a way that I have an act of worship when I arrive to the throne. The victorious church. Every message we looked at here in the book of Revelation, he brought to the church for one reason, that they would overcome, that they would be victorious. The Holy Spirit wants you to have ears to hear so that you can overcome every obstacle of life and every tactic of the enemy. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, we know that we are overcomers because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. By association alone, we've been made greater than any problem any devil will ever face. The greater one is in us, and the greater one is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has made you right now an overcomer. Not one day you'll be an overcomer. Not one day you'll be victorious. Not one day you'll be a conqueror. You're already more than a conqueror through him that loves you. He has made you an overcomer. All you got to do is enforce the victory he's given you by walking in dominion over those five tactics of the enemy. Let's close at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. The Holy Spirit has made you an overcomer. You have the victory. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. When I was studying this and looking at the side of the Bible, how it's also translated. Having done all is also translated having overcome all. So let's read it again this way. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The day of trouble, not just a day some far off in the future. Whenever trouble comes your way. Whenever a tactic of the enemy is presented. Whether it's one or all five. And having done all, having overcome all, stand. What is that stance going? Whoo, I made it now. It's a victorious stance. Jesus and, us, we, Jesus and I, we conquered it. 
We won. We're overcomers. We are the victorious church. We are the ones who produce the 30, the 60, the 100-fold. Whether it's 30, 60, or 100-fold is connected to how you hear the word and obey the word. The 30, 60, 100-fold is connected to how you hear and how you obey. We want to be the victor, victorious church with as much production possible. Because there's somebody on the other side of our obedience. Yes, God loves us. Yes, he did all these things for us. But once we got saved, it should stop being just about us. Our life should be lived because it's also about somebody else. There's somebody else who needs to know Jesus. There's somebody else who's backslidden who will come back to him if you went to go tell them. There's other people who need to be delivered and healed. We can't be just so caught up saying, well, I'm coming to get what I need from me, my four, no more. We have to live this thing outside of these four walls. After we hit South Cobb Drive, after we hit Church Street, when you go to work Monday morning, when you go to school Monday morning, wherever you go through your neighborhoods, through the mall, through the grocery store, live this thing. Walk in victory. Because people need your Jesus. We're not supposed to be the victorious church that's hiding out. Oh, Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back. It's getting rough down here. People are getting crazy. Have you seen the news? Have you seen the election? It's going bad. Come on, Jesus. No, no, no. We're not believing for the rapture to come to be a blackout mission to get us out of trouble. We're going to be the glorious church without spot or wrinkle. The victorious church that when Jesus comes back, he's saying, well done. You did a good job. You completed your mission. Enter into the joy of your master. It's a victorious church that's being raptured. Not a church out in hiding, defeated by the five tactics of the enemy. That's being punked by the devil. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be the victorious church. For the Holy Spirit, the great one, lives on the inside of us. So we are already overcomers. It's time for us to act like it. It's time for us to do the word every single day. Because some of you say, well, I experienced victory in church. I experienced the power of God. But when you hit Monday and go, where did that power go? That power is still there. You just got to do the word. You have to walk it out no matter the pressure. You have to fight, push through the pressure. Fight through the distractions. Fight through the deception. Fight through lust of other things. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. We didn't say this as you're just skipping through the flowers. It's a fight. And you will go through seasons where you don't have to fight. When Jesus resisted the devil, the 40 days in the wilderness, he fought him. And then since the devil departed for a season, you will have seasons of reprieve. Where there's not a lot of fight going on. But don't take a vacation from Jesus and the word. Stick with the word and keep growing. Because you know another fight's coming one day, but you're not worried about it because you know you got the victory. That's why we said before one of the other messages that experience produce hope. Because pressure produce patience or endurance. Endurance produce experience. So now you beat one battle, you beat a few, you got some experience under your belt. So next time Satan tries something, like, look, you know what? We beat you the last time. I can't even believe you dare to show your face again so soon. Jesus says you're supposed to be under my feet. You got higher than my heel, you got too high. So I'm going to have victory over this trial. I'm going to stomp you back down. You have to have that mentality. But no matter what comes your way, you were born again to win. Jesus didn't write any failure stories. He never called you to lose. He called you to win. God never planned any failures. He only planned major successes. And what is success defined by God? doing everything that God has said. That's what we must do in this time. The world needs us. So it's time for us to stand up and be the victorious church. Amen? Well, stand to your feet. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the word of God. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you've given us victory. We thank you that he's made, you've made us more than conquerors because you love us. We want to be victorious. We want to live for you. We want to bless neighborhoods and nations. We want to make Jesus famous in our everyday life. I hope you enjoyed today's message. 
We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.